0: My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here, and we had the honor this last weekend as a family of celebrating two of my daughter's high school graduation. So that was really fun. It was the culmination, yeah, praise God. <clears throat> the culmination of a, of a lot of years of, of study, and it, it has, uh, in conjunction with the passage we're looking at this morning, gotten me thinking about that feeling you get when you finish a long-term project you know what I'm talking about? Go ahead and shout out. How do you feel when you're done with a big project that's taken you a long time to accomplish? What do you feel? Yeah. Yoo-hoo. Good. I'm done. done. I made it. Satisfied. What else? Exhausted. Exhausted. Somebody has to say that. I know. (laughs) Anything else? Well done. Yeah. Any other feelings? Relieved. Relieved. Yeah. Freedom. Freedom. That's a great, a great, great word for this morning as well. What's that? What's next? What's next? All right. We got to do her here. Ready to go on to the next thing. Silicon Valley. Let's go. <clears throat> well, that fits well because, you know, if you think about it, all of our life is just a series of projects, right? whether the project is like getting out of bed. For me, sometimes that can be a monumental effort to actually get out of bed and start the day or raising children or starting a company or getting your degree or whatever it is. All of our life, we kind of figure out, we're going to try to do this. We figure out what we need to do and we do it. Hopefully it goes well. And then we move on to the next thing. And there's another project. What we're going to see then is that as we look at our passage this morning, it gives a great window into how did God design us to do this kind of work? And I'm really excited about this particularly because what we're gonna see this morning is God's people living a rich life full of meaningful work with a transcendent purpose. And I think that message resonates here in the Silicon Valley in really deep ways. I think people here really want to figure out how do I do my work? How do I live my life? How do I have purpose and meaning and contribute to the world in some way? And it turns out that that's exactly how God designed us to live. And this passage really highlights that. We're in the book of Exodus. We are almost done with the book of Exodus. Next week, we will conclude the whole book. What we see today is the culmination of the major project in this book. And that is God figuring out how to live, how to make his home among his people. We've called this series, The Journey to Freedom, because when we started out, we saw God's people in slavery, in the land of Egypt, in a place where God could not dwell among them. And then over the course of this book, we've seen God take his people out of slavery. We've seen him give them freedom from Egypt. But in the last few months, we've seen him give them freedom for something else, not just to escape something bad, but to live in a certain way. And that life that he has been crafting for them is a life that's centered on him. That's focused on his presence and that's establishing a community around who God is and how he works. So as we, look at this passage, we're going to see kind of how it is that God shapes us in that way as well. Now, we have a bit of a challenge this morning. We're looking at five chapters in the book of Exodus. Exodus 35 through 39. And so we're going to be moving through these chapters pretty quickly. There's a, a really interesting structure of these five chapters that I'm going to highlight and I'm going to use that to kind of guide us. But I hope you're ready. This is, I think, my first 10 point sermon that I'm going to give. So you might want to get comfortable. We're going to be moving through these chapters, and uh, there's Bibles in your pews. I know we like to use our phones, but then I can't tell if you're texting or listening to me. Um, So there is actually a physical Bible in your pew if you want to pick it up. Uh, It's a good Sunday to kind of track along. Page 75 is the uh, making it as easy as possible for you, is where we're going to start. So you could do that if you want. And the theme that I really want us to notice as we move quickly through this big chunk of scripture is how the presence of God manifests among his people so that they experience this rich life full of meaningful work and transcendent purpose. That's what we want to observe. Now, When we start looking at the details, the way this passage plays out, these five chapters, there's actually three phases of the project that go through different cycles as you read through this section. And the three phases are essentially the three things that you can do in any project. The first thing is you can not do the project, right? We call that resting, or some of us call that procrastinating, depending on how you're using it. Second thing you can do is you can collect the resources that you need to do the project, whether that's money or wisdom or education or skill or more people, you can collect things. And the third thing you can do is actually do it, actually build the thing that you're trying to build. And what we're going to observe in this section of scripture is that we begin with resting and we're right at the beginning, given this instruction to remember the Sabbath And then we see four cycles of collecting and building. And then we end at the end of this passage with the completion of the project where God's people rest again. So here's a little graphic that shows you how this plays out. And to help us keep track, I've got some props this morning so we can remember. Um, So let's see, first service was a little quiet. So I'm gonna ask you to be a little louder. Uh, Which one do you think this has to do with? Resting. Resting, all right, good. So here's our pillow. And then we have this, collecting. This is actually a piggy bank from when I was a kid. So this has been around a long time. I'm not going to smash it with a hammer in case some of you are thinking that I was. I will not. Um, And I do think it has a broken ear that's been super glued. But faithful piggy bank. And of course, this has to do with? Building. building. Excellent. Now, what's interesting about this pattern, uh, because we had a graduation last weekend and we had some family in town, we decided to do a little house project, and so we built a chicken coop in our front yard. And essentially, we went through these three phases. Um, You know, we kind of rested and and got up the energy, and then we gathered materials, and then we built. And I don't know if house projects at your house are like this, but this is how it works. You figure out what you're going to do. You go to Home Depot, and you start doing it, and you realize you forgot something at Home Depot. So you go back to Home Depot, and you go back, and you start working, and you realize you forgot something else. And so it's actually pretty good that they only have four cycles. When I do a project, it's more like 40 times of going back, getting something, and back and forth to do the work. So we're going to walk through each of these 10 phases. And as we do that, we're just going to make a few observations along the way. But remember, that the guiding theme is that we want to see how God's presence plays through all of this. All right. We're going to start with the first theme. What is this? Resting. All right. we got my pillow. We're going to turn to Exodus 35 verse two. Here's what it says. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. This is a common command in scripture, the command to rest. It's one of the foundational patterns that defines the people of God. It's a pretty strict command though. Notice the penalty is execution, but also notice the particular command not to kindle a fire. I want you to think about that for a minute. I don't know if you've ever been camping, but imagine that you're camping and you're not allowed to build a fire and you live a few thousand years before artificial light was invented. What do you do when it gets dark? You go to bed. That's right. You go to sleep. What else is there to do? You go to sleep. So on the Sabbath day is this built in command to get extra rest, to stop your work. And it's so critically important that right at the beginning of this project, we are reminded of the instruction to rest. You can't do meaningful work without rest. In order to live a rich life of meaningful work with transcendent purpose, you have to develop a pattern of resting and working. Imagine this. Imagine in the Silicon Valley, if people all across the Bay Area, when they thought of Christians, they thought, you know, Christians are the most well-rested people I know what kind of a testimony would that be to the character of God? People thought, man, those Christians, they know how to work hard and rest well. I'm not sure that's how we're known, but maybe it could be. Before the project even begins, you have to learn to rest. All right, that's how it opens. And then we get to the first of the cycle, collecting and building. For collecting, we're going to start with here, um, Exodus 35, verse five. So here we are. We got our piggy bank. And this is what God says. He says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen, goat's hair. I think I read a little bit extra there. You got a bonus. So this is what you do when you build a project, right? you got to collect everything you need. So God, again, reminds the people of the instructions to bring a collection. Gold, silver, bronze, all the precious fabrics. What's interesting about this is that in the ancient world, if you were going to start a building project, you didn't ask for money. You took it. You would tax people. You would demand. You would enforce a collection because the leaders had this view that they had to build something to be important. So the emphasis here is whoever has a generous heart. If you remember this passage from a few weeks ago, we saw the first time this was instructed, it says whoever's heart moves him should bring. This is a voluntary contribution. This is God's people who want to contribute to the project. So the first collecting cycle is done and now we, this is where you say build. Now we, all right, good job. Okay. Exodus 35 verse 10. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Notice this, let every skillful craftsman. This is not grunt work. This is not menial labor. This is meaningful artistry. God is calling forward the artisans of the community to build something beautiful and significant. And what I want us to notice here is how different the life of these people is from when we first met them. If you remember back to when we started the book of Exodus back in September, we read this verse, Exodus 1 verses 13 to 14. This is describing how the Egyptians treated the Israelites. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This is how we met the Israelites. And now we see them calling forward the skilled craftsmen after voluntarily bringing forward their wealth, to create something beautiful and meaningful. That's the transformation. That's freedom from slavery, but freedom for a rich life of meaningful work with transcendent purpose. Think a minute about your own life. We have these two extremes. We have ruthlessly being worked as slaves in bitter service, and we have voluntary contribution with skilled artistry. Which one resonates with you? How would you describe your daily experience? And is the, is the presence of God there? Is he in it with you? And if not, maybe we have something to learn. All right, we've gotten through one cycle of collecting and building. Let's go into our second cycle. We're going to jump into collecting. collecting. All right, Exodus 35 verse 21 and they came. Remember we read the instructions to make a contribution. And now we read, and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. This is them bringing forward their wealth for the purpose of this project. Do you know that feeling when, when you buy someone the perfect gift and you can't wait to give it to them? You can't wait for Christmas or their birthday or whatever. And you're way more excited than they are. They open and they're like, oh, thanks. And you're like, no, I want you to be so excited. I, I found the great gift. That's what these people feel like. They came, their spirit was moved and they brought their wealth for this project. A little over a year ago, there's an author by the name of Brandon Sanderson. Anybody Brandon Sanderson fans? There are like two. Yeah, I know a couple. Okay. In the first service. Um, He's a fantasy writer. He started a Kickstarter a little over a year ago for four new books that he wanted to write. And pretty quickly, that Kickstarter raised about $40 million. It became the most successful Kickstarter of all time, almost twice as much as the second place Kickstarter. Now, you can buy a book for 10 bucks. But Brandon Sanderson's fans wanted to participate in something more than just buying a book. Listen to what one journalist said. He said this, the entire campaign page, that's the Kickstarter campaign, is simply a direct letter from Brandon to the campaign visitors. No flashy page design, no gifts, banners, videos or such. And yet all the backer needs is right there in those plain texts, a connection, with the creator. People wanted to take part in this willingly, voluntarily, because their spirit moved them to be connected to the creator of this fantasy world, because they wanted to be part of something bigger. I think that's what happened in the desert when these Israelites streamed forward to bring forward their gold and silver and bronze. So they've collected a second time, and now they're going to start building. All right. Our next building cycle is Exodus 36, verse one. We read, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Bezalel and Aholiab. Now these names don't mean anything to us, but these would be the famous artisans of their day. And we know about this, right? We like to celebrate artists, people who have particularly unique gifts at creating something beautiful. This is why Van Gogh paintings go for millions of dollars and Taylor Swift tickets go for thousands of dollars. We celebrate the the artist that creates something and we we're drawn to their names. We wanna remember them. That's what's happening here. This is Bezalel and Aholiab. They're the ones that are gonna build the tabernacle. Their skill that God gave them is gonna be put to use to create something beautiful for the name of the Lord. All right, two cycles are done. We've collected, we've built. Now we start to get into a little more detail. Exodus 36, verses three to five. We're gonna do some more. Collecting. All right. You're tracking with me. Exodus 36, verse three to five. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. How many times do builders complain that they have too much money, too many resources? As this continues, the builders actually go to Moses and say, can you tell the people to stop bringing gold? And that's what Moses does. He says, we have too much. Stop bringing your gold. Now that's incredible, but what I want us to do is to just put ourselves in the minds and hearts of those people in the desert. What is it that moved them to bring stuff every day, much more than was needed? What was going on in their hearts so that they had to be told to stop giving? I think when you really catch hold of generosity and you're able to let go of the things that, 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 that keep us trapped by them, there's a freedom and a joy that is so powerful. I think that's what these people felt. They just, they had tasted the freedom of not caring about their stuff, of wanting it to be put to better use. Recently, we've started, uh, I've started getting acquainted with a new organization in the Bay Area called Generosity Bay Area. We had them come and teach one of our classes for the Leadership Institute. Their mission is not to collect money for any particular cause. Their mission is to work with Christ followers to help them become more generous. Not because organizations need money, but because Christians need to be generous. It's for the sake of the giver, not for the sake of the recipients. They have a funny observation. They say that generosity is kind of like, driving. Most people think they're better at it than they actually are. Um, And it was really interesting to hear them talk about how what we see here in the text can, can play out in the Bay Area. They ask, what would the world be like if Christians were known as the most generous people? But really, it's not about the recipient. It's about our hearts joyfully participating in the act of giving. So the builders have more than enough. They're not sure what to do. And now we get to the third cycle of building. building. All right. Exodus 36 verse eight. Here we go. And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with 10 curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. This passage actually goes on. I just read the first verse, but it's three chapters worth of description of every detail of the building. Even in this one verse, we read blue and purple and scarlet, all the details of the work that goes into this construction. And we have to ask, why so much detail? You know, this text would have been passed on orally, by memory, for hundreds of years. When it was finally committed to paper, paper was incredibly expensive. So there were built-in reasons to be as concise as possible. And yet we have all of this detail. Why? I think it's because there's joy in all the work. Every stitch, every plating of gold, every nail in that altar mattered. And those artists, those workers wanted it to be recorded. Every little thing they had done, you get this sense of just enthusiasm. There was blue yarn, there was scarlet yarn, there was purple yarn over and over. We are invited into the the enthusiasm and the joy of these people doing meaningful work. All right. Collecting, building, collecting, building, collecting, building. Now we are in our last cycle of collecting. All right, Exodus 38, verse 21 and 24. We're jumping ahead a few chapters because of all of that detail. Now we get a little bit of a, accounting of what's going on. Verse 21, these are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses the responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Jump down to verse 24. All the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. This part of the passage continues with more numbers, more detail about how much bronze, how much silver, how much precious material was collected. And if you add it all up and you do a little translation in contemporary terms, we find out that they collected about $70 million worth of resources for the building of this tabernacle. Now remember, these were not people living in Silicon Valley with tech jobs. These were people who escaped slavery in the desert with no industry. They were a subsistence culture. They were just trying to survive to get through one day to the next. And the way they were surviving was by bread from heaven falling to the ground. And yet somehow they managed to collect $70 million of gold and silver and bronze to contribute towards this project. Now, again, why that detail? Why does the author want us to know? I think because it's remarkable You can say a lot, but a lot without the number doesn't mean as much. This is an incredible project that the people were able to participate in. And now we get, after that, collecting to the final stage of building. Exodus 39, verse 1. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, the third cycle of building focused on building the structure. We heard about the actual physical tabernacle. This last cycle of building now focuses on the garments, focuses on everything that was necessary for the priests to serve within the tabernacle. And I think that's to help remind us that this was not just a place, it was also a people. It was also a community of people that ministered together for the sake of experiencing the presence of God in their midst. This is what we talk about a lot as a church where we say, PBC meets here. We are a place and this building is important and we are incredibly grateful for it and we take care to make it functional and useful, but we are a community of people. And that's what you see here, the physical structure of the tabernacle as well as the priests who are able to serve Within it. And now, having gone through four cycles of collecting and building, we get to the final stage where they're able to rest once again. This time, why? Because they finished. The project is done. Listen to Exodus 39. I'm going to read 32 and then jump ahead to verse 42. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. I don't know if you remember if you were here, but early on we read when Moses first gave the instructions, the people responded, all that the Lord has said we will do. And then they proceeded to not do what the Lord had said. (laughs) But here it comes full circle. We read, the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses at least in this moment, they've completed the work God gave them to do. Jump ahead to verse 42. We read, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work and Moses saw all the work and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it like you just say the same thing over and over again because you're amazed they actually did it. Then Moses blessed them. If you've been here, as we've been looking through the book of Exodus, you know there were moments where it was not clear how this was going to turn out. Moments where God's people had disobeyed God. Moments where God was so furious with his people that he wanted to wipe them out and start over. We did not know whether we'd make it to this point and yet here we are. All that the Lord had commanded, they had done. And so Moses blesses them. And this is that feeling of accomplishment, of joy, of productivity, of exhaustion, of all of those things together. They've just completed an incredible project. Now, The way that this is described, it actually resonates with an earlier passage from scripture. Genesis two, verse two reads this. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Similar phrasing, similar repetition. And so really what's happening here is this work that the people have participated in is some kind of a new creation. God began his story with creating something beautiful. And here's the people creating something beautiful for God to dwell in among them. And what we realize is that they are participating in the very character of God by doing this project. God does exactly what we see them do. God collects his resources, he rests and he builds. And now the people get to be like God. They get to live out the image of God that they were created in by doing this project. That's incredible. That's the story of the gospel to be transformed from slavery and bitterness and a meaningless life to be transformed for the sake of experiencing the presence of God daily throughout all of our work and living out our identities as people who've been created in the image of God. That's the transformation on Exodus. And that's the transformation of the gospel. So I want to go back and review a couple things. We've seen these three different patterns, resting, collecting, and building, and we've seen the joy and the enthusiasm that weaves through all of them. But I want to go back and look at the passages kind of in rapid fire. Once again, to notice, All of this wouldn't be anything except that it has the presence of God in it. This is actually a pretty good manual for project management. Rest, collect, build, repeat until necessary, and then you're done. But it wouldn't be worth anything without the presence of God. So listen to this. We're going to read a few different uh, verses. Exodus 35.2. On the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Exodus thirty-five five we read: Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Exodus thirty-five ten: Make all that the Lord has commanded. Thirty-five twenty-one: And they came and brought the Lord's contribution. Thirty-five thirty: See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri. Thirty-six verse one: The Lord has put skill and intelligence in them. And finally thirty-nine, forty-two, again, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. This is not just about how to have a successful project, how to get things done. This is about how to live out our identity as image bearers of God and to experience a connection with God in the midst of it. The apostle Paul in the New Testament Picks up on a similar theme in Colossians. Listen to Colossians 3 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is what we have been saved for. We have been saved from sin and death and darkness and futility, division and anger, but we have been saved for a life lived, drenched with the presence of God in all of our work, in all of our relationships, whether that's here or in your workplace or at home, do all your work as to the Lord. And this is, I think what the Silicon Valley is desperate for, desperate, for the good news of a life that Jesus Christ can enliven and open up and wake up and aim towards purpose and meaning. We're gonna do now what the church has done for thousands of years, and that is to celebrate communion. But as we do that, we're gonna keep in mind all these themes that we've been talking about. And we're gonna allow this particular time to reflect it. Sometimes we do communion reflectively where we're, where we're kind of pondering stuff. Sometimes we're contemplative or we're thinking about um, maybe something hard in our lives. This morning, this is gonna be a feast. This is gonna be that meal when you finish a project and you're done and you're able to celebrate everything that's happened. Because what we're celebrating here is not our work being done but the work of God that's done on our behalf. If you remember when Jesus was on the cross, these were some of his final words. He said this in John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And in that moment, a project that had began at creation was brought to completion. The process of setting out the plans to redeem humanity, to create a way for this creation to be restored to God's original intention. When Jesus died on the cross, all of that came to fruition and he said, it is finished. And so as we celebrate this table, we remember that God's work on our behalf is done. And it's only that truth that makes our work have meaning. If it were up to us to do meaningful work, to bring in the kingdom of God, we would be, we would be lost, but it's not up to us. God's work is done and because it is, we're able to participate in a way that brings glory to him and that brings purpose to our lives. We're going to celebrate what we call past the plate communion. What that means is that ushers are going to distribute the bread to you and you can take the bread and you can take that um, whenever you want, as soon as you receive it, if, if, if you'd like. And then the ushers will come back with the cup. When they bring you the cup, hold on to the cup. And I'm going to come back up here and we're going to take that together as a toast and a celebration of the work that God has done. So let me pray for us. This is what, um, The Apostle Paul says about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So by eating this meal together, we are proclaiming the simple fact that it is finished. God's work is done. And all of us can rest in the completed work of God as we participate in the work that he's called us to do for the sake of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we are really glad that it is not up to us. So thankful to be reminded that your work on our behalf is done, that you are working even when we don't see it, that you are working in ways we can't understand and that we have the privilege of coming alongside and participating in what it is you're doing. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for this community that we get to celebrate with. And as we eat this bread and drink of this cup, may we proclaim your death, knowing that the work is done, but also looking forward until you come to the day when you will return and bring in the kingdom of God in ways that we can only begin to imagine. Thanks, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.